Hello and welcome to The Stinger, a super fan's guide to the latest in Marvel, Star Wars, and other nerd entertainment. Joining me on today's episode, our uh, two favorite co-hosts have never been more ready to take down the Empire. It's Trent Neely and Joseph Sneed, aka the Lord of the Lore. How we doing, boys? Um, I'm so excited to be talking about what I can definitely say now is one of the best seasons of television I've seen in my life, and I'm happy to be doing it with you guys. So, Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Been kind of spoiled the second half of the year with this and Lord of the Rings, and and uh, and Wakanda Forever, and just like it, it's been, it's been good. We've been eating good on the Stinger lately, and so I we were just talking about it. Like, let's just press record. Let's get this episode cranked out because we are chomping at the bit to talk about Andor. So if you didn't realize already, that's what we're here to talk about today. Yes, it's been a little while, been about a, a week or and some change since the finale for Andor dropped. Um, so I hope everybody has had time to watch it. If you haven't, you can go ahead and sh- just shut this down now and go finish watching Andor. And then you can come back and listen because this will be a spoiler heavy discussion of one of our favorite shows of the year. As always, just thank you for being here. Thank you for, for joining in to listen as you always do. And uh, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave a rate and review and follow us on social media at The Stinger Pod. Last time we talked about this show, uh, it was just Trent and Joseph, and they did a phenomenal job talking about episodes five through 10. So, tr- truly like an all time stretch in this show. The, the, the episodes were just like on fire every single time you, uh, you fired up Disney Plus. So, so today, we are left with episodes 11 and 12, the final two, the penultimate and the finale. And so we're going to talk about those episodes. And then we're also just going to talk in a in a broader, uh, larger lens on what we thought about season one of Andor, because we know we're getting a season two. We want to reflect on what works with this season of television and look forward to the future. So um, without further ado. Let's get into it. We're going to throw on our Jedi robes and enter the council chamber to discuss everything there is to talk about season one of Andor. And so, guys, before we talk about these two episodes, let's just let's just uh, take a step back. How do you feel about season one of Andor? I I can't in my heart, heart of hearts say this is like my favorite bit of Star Wars content because A New Hope and Empire and Return of the Jedi means so much. That being said, even though there is no such thing as being objective with art, if I was being objective, th- this is the best Star Wars content that exists. In Ooh, my opinion. Like wow. from a pure writing level, this is, there. there's just like nothing, nothing wrong with this. Like you can nitpick stuff about like the beginning of a new hope being a little slow, the timeline of all the events in empire being a little wonky. There's like nothing in Andor season one that I can poke holes in, except maybe that it, maybe that it's a little slow. I've heard people talk about that and it's fair. It's a slower pace than, than any other star Wars thing we've gotten before. But I think it works on a character and world building and thematic level. So, so much that, that I barely noticed the slower pace. Um, this, this thing from a technical level is one of the most beautiful looking star Wars things, the music is amazing. 
all the performances are great. Uh, the the show just knew what it wanted to be and knew what it wanted to say and executed perfectly, in my opinion. Yeah, it's the best original show on Disney Plus, which mm-hmm. you know isn't saying much aside from like Loki and The Mandalorian and maybe Moon Knight. But uh, yeah, it was really good. Probably. It might be my favorite Star Wars that Disney has done. Hmm. I don't know that it's my, it's not my favorite of any of it, of, you know, the originals and um, some little things here and there in the Clone Wars and the prequels. But I thought it was really good. Had a good time with it. Great writing, relatable characters. You know, they're, they're not like the big, powerful Jedi characters. It's like, they're like, you know, the plumbers and electricians of Star Wars, the guys that we can kind (laughs) of identify with the regular folks that aren't like crazy war generals or wizards or anything. So I I really enjoyed seeing that. And it was always that type of thing. Like, Oh, we want to see in the Mandalorian, the, the realness of the galaxy. And then it was like, Mm. okay, well, here you go in Andor. This is what people, this is what the regular people in the galaxy go through. It really does take a zoomed in look at just life in the Star Wars galaxy. And to me, that is like the the biggest accomplishment of it. You know, we I I don't know how where I can rank this show in all of Star Wars. That's that is a tall task to to take into mind. But I can tell you, I love this show more than almost anything I've seen this year. And and more than most of the Star Wars stuff that's come out in my lifetime. So what made Andor th- like what? Because I, it's one of those things where I think where when, when I think about everything that we've seen and watched and talked about on this podcast, there's usually we we usually defer a little bit in how we feel about it. Um, and then in the broader public, it's like. There's a lot of things that are polarizing. Um, whereas with Andor, it really doesn't seem like there is a ton of pushback on on this show. People seem to love it uh, almost all across the board. And so what what do you think made this show the huge success that it is? I, I feel like for the first time in the Disney era, it, it, it was actually something... It, for most people, it seemed to strike that balance of it was new Star Wars, but it didn't didn't quote like which I kind of hate this term, but like break the lore mm. of of like stuff because it's like you know there was the Last Jedi obviously tried new things and people felt like it was a portrayal of certain themes and characters and things like that. Whereas I feel like Andor was like no, we're, I think I said in one of the earlier episodes where it, it made the obvious call of like. This, this is a property called Star Wars, right? Like we should mm-hmm. actually look like look at what warfare looks like and and the the actual emotional, psychological, and political things that are involved in like actual warfare. Um, and and showing that that ground level of that, I think, is really what um made it. And just the willingness to um to sort of slow the pace down, right? And not be like, oh, we have to have an action heavy moment in every single episode. We can just have large episodes that are just people having conversations about ideology and morality and where they stand and our place in the universe and the role of citizens in the political process and things like that, which is insane to be even saying about a Disney plus show, but that all really (laughs) is in there. Um, It's, it's really impressive. It really is. 
Yeah, I think looking back at, at one of my major criticisms of one of the biggest movies last year of uh, Spider-Man, of saying I felt like they wrote themselves they wrote it backwards. We're like, all right, we have to have these major Spider-Man mm-hmm. characters show up and, and then figure out how we get there. And, and a lot of times you'll see all these shoehorning of Easter eggs and characters. in. I think this one was more like a, well, we don't need everybody in this. So they, they, the cameos they brought in, I think me and Trent touched on it in the last one of, uh, which it wasn't really cameos as much, but, um, but of uh, Colonel Yalorin and, Mon Mothma and Saw Gerrera, they felt really natural and it didn't feel like kind of a, we have to put these guys in here is more like a, yeah, these guys fit in here pretty well. So I think it was not a lot of shoehorning of, I feel like there's some anti-nostalgia going on right now of um, pushback against it for, you know, just for having nostalgia and I feel like that might come back when, when we get to Indiana Jones. In next year too. <laughs> I think too, they, they had, they had aspects of what Disney has been doing with some more of the social commentary in it, but it wasn't as blatant that it was social commentary. Cause we look at the, um, the cast of Andor extremely diverse casts, mm-hmm. uh, women, minorities, different people coming in and out, but they weren't going out and calling attention to it of like, Ooh, look how diverse we are. Look how diverse we are. It it felt really natural with it. Um, And then too, with some of the, some more of the recent shows that seem to get a little preachy with stuff like that. Andor was like, Hey, Imperial fascism is bad, (laughs) but Mm. it wasn't like, it, it was showing kind of the more nuanced versions of it. Like, Hey, we want you to understand these bad guys and still remember that they're total scumbags. Mm. Um, so I think it was a very natural kind of show that, that didn't really feel forced in any way, pun intended for the <laughs> show. Um, but I think that's why it's, it seems to be almost universally praised. I think there's yeah. some people on YouTube that are like, where's the rest of the fan service? And I'm like, I don't care. The show was great. I don't need a Jedi in this show. I don't need, you know, force stuff. Um, I was, you know, after Obi-Wan Kenobi, I think I said it on the show. I was like, 100% we're getting Bail Organa in the show. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He didn't show up, but it didn't really make sense for him to show up. So I'm kind of glad it wasn't forced. I think he'll be in season two and in at least one episode, but I think it, I think it'll be really natural because they're in season two, they're going to be building up to rogue one and he was in rogue mm-hmm. one for a little bit. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, he needs to be in it, but it wasn't like, um, I think they could have easily done something where Baylor kind of just happens to stroll into uh Luthen shop and is like, hello, I'm going to wink, wink <clears throat> Alderaan. And seems like a lot of this is, a lot of this Imperial stuff was going to blow up on my planet and do like little dumb remarks about that. That's like, Oh look, the death star is going to destroy Alderaan. Yeah, and, and even the, the death stars cameo was kind of like when they, when they were working in the prison, like, what are they doing? And you're like, I think they might be building the death star. <laughs> and then you find out they're definitely building. They the were, death star. they were. And, and Andor, 
will probably never even know that what he worked on in the prison was part of the Death Star, which is kind of interesting, too. Um, It's so. The Death Star, the Death Star's appearance in that cameo had more to do with the story than it did with it being some kind of attached to, to the Star Wars lore. It was more it was only impactful because uh I mean I guess we, you have to know the greater story of Star Wars but it was there because of the role that it played in in the prison scenes, right? Um I I really think when the trailers for this show came out, I remember thinking like wow, this looks really intriguing like visually looks stunning and then some of the potential storylines I'm seeing and even in just in the trailer, that looks fun, like exploring the, the politics of Star Wars, right? But I don't think I ever imagined that this show could be this good, especially especially just in the era of storytelling that we're in on Disney Plus um, between both Marvel and Star Wars. Because I, I think what makes this show so special is you could take these characters um and you could take this story and remove it completely away from Star Wars and put it in our real world uh, with just different um, the Empire not being the Empire, but it's a different kind of like tyrannic uh, governing body. Um, and then the people are just everyday people. Um, and, I, and it would work. It would still be an awesome show. Um, and I think that's what makes this thing so compelling and good and like don't get me wrong i love what shows like the mandalorian do that are actually very focused on the lore of star wars um and have a little bit more like fantastical things going on um but i this to me this like almost changes how these shows should be written going forward because tony gilroy has shown us like look you can make something that exist in the world of star Wars and, and it could be Marvel. It could be DC. It could be one of these franchises in the future, right? You can make a story that exists in these worlds that is, um, not reliant on the lore, but it's just, it's, it's just a story that's really, really good. And you could remove it from that world and it still be good on its own. And to me, I think that's like, it's like this this doesn't this storytelling doesn't even compare to anything else I've seen. I'm like I can't I can't really compare it to Loki or Man the Mandalorian because this is just so fresh and so it just seems so much more advanced than I think anything else we've seen. Um and I and I really believe that that that's what sets it apart. Yeah, I I just love I just love the show so much. I uh, I I realize, you know, we're in pretty deep into this episode already. We haven't talked about the the episodes 11 and 12 themselves. So why don't we why don't we actually dig into each of these episodes? Um, and, and I want to talk more big picture. I I, uh, I have obviously like our major plot points here, but we'll start with episode 11. Uh, which is titled Daughter of Ferrix. It's directed by Benjamin Caron and um written by tony gilroy both of these episodes were actually uh had the same director same writer um and in episode 11 is a little bit slower i actually felt like out of this is a long season of television and i at no point in the season did i ever feel like 
oh, they're letting their foot off the gas. But I actually think they did in this one. How did you guys receive episode 11? Yeah, this this is the one where you're like, you can tell they're like, we can jump from what happens in episode 10 to 12. So we need a, we need a bridge. And, and so episode 11 is the bridge. And that's not really a diss on the show. That's just like that happens in writing sometimes. Like mm-hmm. you just need episodes or scenes in movies that are connective tissue and don't have a lot of impact on their own i agree that if there was there was an episode that i was like most tempted to like maybe fast forward through on rewatches 11 is the one that i'm probably most likely gonna speed through yeah i think bridge is a good way to describe it that was actually yeah. a word i was i was thinking of using of uh if it doesn't have 12 attached with it it doesn't work but you know you get all of the payoff in 12 because of the build-up because like you were saying you can't go straight from Cassian is out of prison to Rick's road. Yeah. So daughter of Ferrix, I think did a good job of setting it up and I think kind of slowing it down from our action packed episode 10 to give you a little bit of breathing room right before we have the kind of the, the calm before the storm at the beginning of episode 12 <clears throat> And then the big fight at the end, the well, basically the big riot at the end. I liked episode 11. I mean, for me, there's really not a bad episode in the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those, um, it doesn't work without the payoff. Because I, I don't think, it w- I think it would have been not great if it was the season finale. Yeah, I agree. And, and to your point too, like, Episodes 10 and 12 are such giant, like, explosions, you know? Like, there is so much happening in both those episodes. You do, like, you do kind of need something to uh, to slow down so you can rebuild the momentum for episode 12. What what were some, some, some of your favorite things about episode 11, like, pieces of dialogue? Um, there's, there's not, honestly, that much happening story-wise to... Um, other than like you guys said forming a bridge to get from the prison escape to everybody convening on rick's road so what what was it what was a moment that stood out to you in episode 11 uh for me it's the it's the two big scenes with luthan are like the the takeaways from episode 11 you get the great conversation with saw guerrera um where saw like at the last minute is like oh i'll be willing to take part of this operation and luthan's like no you won't like we're gonna let things unfold as they need to and saw for like the first time ever who we've only known him as this, you know, brutal character, whatever needs to happen needs to happen. And he actually has a moment of, of doubt and being like, Oh my gosh, like, are you going to just let this happen? And what's to stop you from doing it to me one day. And then the incredible, um, mini action sequence with Luthen and the tie fighters is, is, is awesome. Like I'll rewatch those two scenes many times from this episode. I thought that was so that, so unexpected actually mm-hmm. you know like i felt like all the actions all the action sequences in the show have been so like brutal and like very hand-to-hand combat focused that the fact that we got like a tie fighter chase down in space as like luthan's trying to pull away from a tractor beam that was crazy i did not expect it at all um, I, I, I just did, didn't think this show would go there. Uh, Joseph, how did, how did you feel about those scenes? Yeah. I mean, I thought his ship was cool. And then I actually, I actually got to work the next day or, or a couple of days after. And one of the guys walked up to me and was like, 
that shit put a smoke to the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think it would have. <laughs> he had those, like, you know when Iron Man has the lasers in his hands? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it had that kind of scene where he's uh, spinning the ship and TIE Fighters are just getting destroyed. It, 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 it was not quite as satisfying as uh, Boba Fett dropping the seismic I, charge on the TIE Fighters. But it almost, was pretty, almost it, close. It was pretty close because, you know, you see this guy and you're like, okay, he's in his little, you know, he's in his little uh, archaeology ship and he's going to fly around. And then he starts pressing all these buttons and you're like, oh, crap, this ship is awesome. Yeah. He's got secret weapons everywhere because he shot the little things out that uh, I can't remember what they were, but they just completely destroyed the satellite dish on the. Yeah, uh, yeah. The little uh, imperial ship. Yeah, is I, I was just thinking about this. Like, is Luthen's ship the Batmobile? Yes. Like, <laughs> I think he, it's the Batmobile actually, in, in I Star Wars. I don't know if it's the Batmobile. It's the utility belt. Ah, yes, Ooh, yes. yes, that's very good. I like that. I like that comp. It, well, it it might be uh, it might be Ben Affleck's Batmobile. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. No. I um. Both of those scenes I really loved. The seeing Luthen go toe to toe with Sagarera was pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. I know you're talking about it already, just but like the I mean the Stellan Skarsgård acting in this show is just like unbelievable. Every it, it's amazing to me how he just like continues to every every scene. It just kind of his acting performance just continues to go up in my opinion. But I. Sagarera is the wild card of the entire rebel front. So you would think Luthen, especially not, not exactly a, a warmonger like, like saw, and he's able to stand him down. And it just shows like just the, the guts it takes for someone like Luthen to, to lead this movement. It was pretty, it was pretty remarkable. I did not expect saw to stand down either. I thought there was going to, I definitely thought shots were going to be fired and there was going to be a skirmish. that just broke off between everybody. But yeah, those are those are some standout moments for me as well. Joseph, did you have any other ones other than those two? Mine's a lot quieter of a moment as uh, is B two just being sad. Oh my oh, gosh, the saddest boy the whole bro. episode. And they're they're like, was it this one or episode twelve where B two was was talking to Cassian's friends? Like, can you just stay over here for the night? That's, oh that's 11 gosh. yeah yeah and, and i was like dang so this sad. man i feel so bad for b2 <clears throat> um but that's another thing that the show does good it's like hey this little droid gets you so attached to him and when when marva dies he's like so what do i do now where's cassian at can you stay with me <clears throat> it, i think that was probably the the standout scene for me of uh, mm. just just how sad B two was, and another another example of hey, droids should probably not be slaves in Star Wars because <laughs> they have feelings. He's like a little kid, man, and it's so funny because like I feel like the our favorite droids in Star Wars are always like pretty snarky and sarcastic and just like kind of like throwing throwing shade. R two does it all the time chopper I mean, does chopper, it all the time chopper's a mass murderer so yes he is 
exactly. And B2 is just like the most precious little droid just wandering throughout the galaxy. Not even throughout the galaxy. He's just like chilling at home and he needs his people. And I'm just like, you know, oh you know my who, God. Uh, you know who B2 reminds me of? And, and I'm going to reference something that I hate, but this was not a horrible part of it, is D.O. from The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you're right. So, you know, D.O. was not, you know, I was, I'm kind of indifferent on D.O., but but he was just like a little cute little droid. Yeah. That was kind of, you know, had some some confidence issues. and That's um, true. Yeah, that's a so, good And B2 kind of reminds me of, of, uh, of that. Just like the little, the, the shy little sweet droids and... Uh, not like that scumbag gold droid from the Clone Wars that I was glad when that guy got <laughs> blown up. Oh, man. No, I saw a tweet the other day that was like, only Tony Gilroy would make a sad boy droid and literally name him B2 Emo. <laughs> like, that's literally yeah. his name. <laughs> I thought, I have been thinking that the whole series. Like, this this is wild that he named him B2 Emo. What? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, let's move to our finale. Uh, episode 12 titled Rick's Road same director same writer and I think immediately off the bat I was impressed at how every major character in this show it seemed like made its way back to Ferrix and it was all extremely believable you know it's almost like it was almost like the inverse of the She-Hulk finale when like they played it off as a joke that all of these characters showed up for the final fight uh, when it made zero sense at all, except here it's supposed to happen and it works. How did you guys feel about that? Yeah, no, it was great. Um, I, I, the one other scene I forgot to mention with twelve is there's that great moment where like Sergeant Mosk calls a uh, Karn mm. over like a broken iChat connection yes. and is like, like Cassian's here and like Karn's like where and he's like yes here like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like what he's there yeah the mom died like and they're. <laughs> And so, yeah, having him show up and um, obviously Deidre being there makes a yeah. lot of sense because she's just trying to shore up this Imperial presence. And I loved in episode 12 that, like, all the other Imperial guards are like, oh, we have to, like, not do anything and not let them have a funeral. Like, and she's like, no, you're going to close the street for one hour because that's how we're going to get Cassie to show up. Um, mm-hmm. She just keeps playing that long game. And so it makes sense for her to be there. Obviously, all the Ferrix residents, it makes sense. Um I, I, the show was so smart because I'm like, there's no way Andor's going to show up in this town and not get spotted. But they actually go through great pains the whole episode to show the various ways he stays hidden. And I totally buy it. I'm like, never mind. I should have trusted you, Tony Gilroy. Like, (laughs) you solved it. My bad. Um, no. And, and everything about the actual finale itself, uh, was, was outstanding. Yeah. I mean, it, it was incredible. Yeah. I, um, I actually listened to an interview with Tony Gilroy and he wrote that, or he was saying that um, getting writing the motivation for, for how and why Cyril was going to show up on Ferrix was like the hardest thing for him. Like these yeah. are like, that was like the hardest connecting thread for him to, to find. So that scene you're talking about Trent of them, like of Mosk calling him over the like little iPad on the wall was like a, a brilliant way to do it. You know, it like it, it was just uh, a little touch that like seems insignificant, but like is necessary to get him there Um, because I feel like the episode is better with him there. Oh, Um, for sure. Were you guys surprised that Cassian showed up? I'm not going to lie. I was a little surprised that Cassian showed back up to, to his home planet. 
but uh, maybe maybe that's just me. No, I I I what I thought was going to happen was that Luthen was going to intercept him early on when he got to Ferrix, and that the two of them were going to have sort of a long dialogue throughout the mm. whole episode. Yeah. Instead of the the short version we actually get at the very end of the episode, I thought we were just going to get a longer version of that throughout the whole thing about like, do you want to join the rebellion or not? Um, I like it much better where yeah, Andor's just sneaking around and Luthen's observing this whole thing and seeing seeing sort of the crack. Like I love when um Bell <coughs> like tells Luthen like that um Deidre's there and like looking for him and instead of being freaked out of like oh I can't blow my cover he's just like oh cool like let me observe her and see like what she does. He's just like this is intelligence gathering for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, I thought when when Cassian is up in kind of the 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 tower looking down through the uh the binoculars i thought he was gonna do something that started the riot because mm. i was kind of like okay they're they're really setting this up that the crowd is gonna riot we got the little kid making his bomb and i was like so something is gonna happen and i thought cassian was gonna just start like sniping people from the top <laughs> but uh he ended up not and i think it worked out pretty well because yeah uh, he ends up going and you know it's it's nice and Bix is like crazy now, so <laughs> yeah, he, he it, gets her out while while using the riot kind of as a distraction, which was just crazy too. Like, and, and I think that was something that uh, was kind of slept on—a uh, motivation of Cassian's. Right? Like, I said, I was surprised that he came back because he knew that his mother had passed. Obviously, he's gonna want to be there for the funeral, but him knowing that he probably knows the empire is going to be there. And so that's why I thought like maybe he, he would try to avoid that. But I think the, the reason like he shows up is because Bix is still there. Mm-hmm. And, and he said that, or I don't, he maybe I don't think he said to Bix, he was going to come back, but in his, in his heart of hearts, he, he wants to come back to, to save her. And so I thought that was, that was an important piece too, that they actually, get to get reunited in this in this final episode as well um the episode takes a brief exit from ferrix to go back to coruscant um very briefly to 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 find us with mon mothma and her family and uh the the first uh scene that we get with with her and her and uh her husband actually is on coruscant they get into their uh, space taxi their Coruscant taxi and uh <clears throat> they have their own driver and it's kind of I, I it's kind of been vaguely thrown out there throughout the season like that they have a relationship with this with this driver and when they're in the car all of a sudden Mon Mothma is berating and starting an argument with her husband over his quote unquote gambling addiction. And you see the camera cut to the driver of their, of their taxi. And he's, and he's listening real intently because he can hear their conversation, even though Mon Mothma asked for privacy. And so how did you guys feel about this scene and Mon Mothma kind of figuring out uh, the, the ISB spy in disguise? Yeah, like I, I, I was so stupid and didn't realize how clever Mon Mothma was that I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't know that she's being bugged. And then I'm like, oh wait, she's like 
lying about her husband's gambling yes. addiction and fake rumors because she yes. knows they're listening and throwing them off the scent and like dang mon mothma is willing to go to great lengths like yeah no it, that actually is one of my favorite smaller scenes in the entire season like this is a microcosm of, I think, why this show works great, is it can have a show where a wife just throws her husband completely under the bus, <laughs> but for 100% understandable motivations. Um, and, and it makes sense, right? Because the show has also, they don't they haven't belabored the point, but we've seen throughout the, the whole thing that, like, her husband lives this very extravagant lifestyle. So it's not like this yeah. far-fetched thing of, like, oh, it's a random rumor that the Empire can clear up easily. It's like he very well could have, like, this shady past of gambling, and it, yeah. it worked great. But it's it's just showing how far she has to go to keep this rebellion alive at this point. Mon Mothma is cold-blooded. Yes, sir. Because <laughs> she's like, well, everything sucks. Don't have a great home life. So I might as well just use my not great home life to help the rebellion. And um, she had made comments, I think, to uh, to Luthen earlier in the season, like, "Yeah, I think my driver's compromised, and there's everybody listening to me, spying on me." And she uh, she kind of has to take people aside when she wants to talk to them. And um, yeah, so it was interesting. But I was watching that scene, like, dang. <laughs> She's not I know. Quite, I thought she was. She's not squeaky clean. She's not, and I think that's actually like, to me, I think it's her character development throughout the season because I, I'm not sure that like the Mon Mothma we meet at the beginning is willing to go to that length yet. But progressively, as the season's gone on, she is like the the weight of trying to carry this rebellion from her end is getting heavier and heavier and heavier, and eventually, like, there's cracks starting to appear that. In, in her like quote unquote flawless character that that she has to make tough choices to keep this thing moving and one of those is is what we see next is that we see her and Perrin and her daughter Lita standing in front of um the other Shandrillan we meet earlier in the season Skuldron or Skuldun I can't remember how you say his name yeah um, yeah yeah we'll say we'll say it's one of those i'm not sure but anyway they, they're standing in front of each other and it looks like they are appearing to set their children up for a potential future marriage which is mon mothma shot it down first time around and then in episode 11 we didn't talk about this but we see that lita was taking these like customary chandrillan classes and dressed in the traditional garb um and Mon Mothma kind of hinting that that her being that being her choice. I'm curious, like, what do you guys think? Do you think it was Lita's choice, or do you think Mon Mothma's given in? I, I think it, I think it's both, right? Like the the show is keeping things complex enough where the daughter seems willing to embrace the traditions, but also Mom is doing it for her own motives. And I think mm. having something that is in that gray area is what makes complex characters so so mm. it, it works yeah yeah i think it's i think it's more lita's choice because when when they say that mon is talking to vel and she doesn't really have any reason to to lie about that or fake it to vel because yeah. they're you know they're on the same side even though i don't think mon mothman knows everything that vel has been up to right um, but I think uh, 
it might be a little bit of teenage rebellion too of mm-hmm. maybe Mon Mothma isn't as big on the Chandrelin customs and Perrin is. So she's like, well, I'm mad at mom. So I'm going to go hard on what dad likes. And so I think there's a little bit of that happening. That's a great call, Joseph. Like I, I cause I read that. I read that, uh, putting together the, um, the notes for our episode today, like that someone, someone's take on that was the same. And I'm like, I didn't even think about that because they do plant the seeds all season long that her daughter, the mother daughter relationship there is very fraught and, and there seems to be like a rebellious nature in Lita. So yeah, I totally believe that that's kind of all we get on Coruscant. So we'll head back to Ferrix now. Um, and the funeral proceeding is beginning. Uh, Deidre is enforcing her generals, lieutenants, troops of the Empire to take to the streets. And the funeral march is giant. I mean, it mm-hmm. looks like the entire town is here to take part in this in this funeral for Marva. Um, and the entire crowd makes its way to Rick's Road, and then they assemble in, in an open spot in Rick's Road, and B2 Emo strolls up. And then flips his little projector around, and then we see a giant hologram, and it's a pre-recorded speech before Marva died, um, that is played at her funeral. That apparently is a Ferrix tradition um, for funerals. And so, uh, guys, from this point on, chaos ensues. But let's start with just like the speech itself and how this thing rolls out. Give me your reactions. Yeah, uh, no, the speech is incredible, right? Um, I love that B2 Emo got got his little moment to shine by being the projector boy. He did. Like, I was like, good for you, man. Um, <laughs> and, and I love that Marva, like, it, it would be easy for the show to write this thing where she just gives the speech of, like, you need to rebel, like, because it, it's just what we have to do. But I love that she opens it by saying, basically, like, not only were you all complacent, I was complacent too, and we let yeah. the Empire get this foothold. Like, she starts out at a very sympathetic point, and she's like, and she's somber at the beginning, and you know, sympathetic, like, I know why we let things happen, because it was easy to do it that way, and then it just builds and builds and builds, and then like, that fight the Empire moment happens, which if you're reading her lips, is not what she said, but I'll keep it uh, <laughs> PG. In fact, I think I think the person who plays Deidre said that, like, yes, she said something different when they were actually filming on set. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, but I, I like Fight the Empire. I think it actually works better. Um, but no, great speech, uh, amazingly performed by the performer. Um, one of one of the top like dialogue driven Star Wars scenes for me. F the Empire. <laughs> I was waiting for it. No, I'm I'm really glad they did not do that because I think it would have fallen really flat. <clears throat> um, I mean, it, I, I guess not, in a show that literally it never says that word at any other point, it, it might have, but yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we, we, point. we did get Star Wars' first S word in this show, <laughs> but that's a little more not it's as... It's more tame. Yeah, it's not as earthbound i guess because you know we've heard it in more in like space marvel movies before, right, so right. but yeah I'm, I'm glad they didn't i'm glad the f word they used was fight um 
otherwise I would have been like, yeah, that was the one misstep of the season, I think. But the the speech was really good, and you know, all the people looking up and Cassie and being able to hear his mom again, and um, before that piece of trash kicked B two over. Oh my gosh, oh, I was so gosh. irrationally upset. I like, I was like. And that's why it should have been F the Empire. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it was. I'm glad that dude got beat with a brick or, or by Marva's brick. That that was the best yeah, part. That was, was nuts. Like Marva in death gets to fight back by the use of her brick. I was like, come on, Tony. Like screenwriting perfection. Yeah, but but the speech the speech was really good. I was watching it and was like, man, I'd go fight the Empire after this. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. I you know, there's been so many really incredible speeches in this show in this one season that this one I it was it was up there with the best of them. But there was something so like it was just so well executed that simultaneously as she's articulating to the audience like of her complacency, their complacency, and the need to build up a resistance against the Empire, that it's actually happening all around. Cassian is is making his way to break free Bix at the same time that this speech is happening. And you can see, like, the... the We didn't mention it, but the boy uh, who assembles the bomb, like, the, the camera continuously kind of cuts to his face, and you can see the emotions... And just the buildup of anger toward the Empire in him as the speech is happening. And I actually felt distracted to where, like, I don't remember everything that was said in the speech because you can, like, the camera is showing us the buildup, the the effect that the speech is having in the buildup of the the fight that's about to break out the entire time and i just thought that was so well done there's so many there's so many moments i want to talk about too so let's like let's jump to the riot actually breaking out uh and and everything that ensues you know we've got um as the before the the speech happens um there's a there's a man that kind of rats out Cassian to the Empire, mm-hmm. so the Empire knows that Cassian is there. They found him, um, and and then on the fringes of of where the speech is taking place, Cyril shows up, and Luthen also shows up, and he's underneath his hood, um, and and Deidre is in the mix of all of this as well. So when the riot breaks out, chaos ensues, and. We'll just start there. What did what did you all think when when the chaos kind of breaks out? Yeah, no, uh, I gotta say, I was watching a, a YouTube thing the other day that pointed out like the only reason that the the little like bomb device is as effect uh, I don't know if effective is a good word, but impactful as it is, is because the Empire like ten minutes earlier was like, oh, we have to have like all of our ordnance out in the street so that like the citizens yeah. can be afraid of how we are. So it makes it. 10 times more explosive than what it originally would have been. And I thought it was such a great, like the empire is like their pride ends up causing so much more damage for them. Like that was such a great little after effect as well. And it's, it's really their wounded pride that starts the, the giant riot to begin with, because it's that one Lieutenant or general who can't literally, he just can't take Marva's speech. It is too gutting 
to his ego and pride that he goes in there and kicks B2 Emo over. And it's just like, truthfully, you're there. It, like, if they're there to enforce, they're not there to start a riot. And they're actually the ones who start the riot, which is which is kind of crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, when when a uh, little man throws that bomb and it starts setting off that chain reaction of stuff, and then you see it kind of finish, and everyone is just laying there, and they start getting up, and all the, the citizens of Ferrix are like, all right, it's go time. This is our chance. And then the Empire gives the order, fire at will, and they just mm. start taking them out. I think this is what we wanted from Stormtroopers the whole time, but it doesn't really make it any easier nope. to see because they're just like shot to the chest, shot to the chest, shot to the chest. Just They're just one-shotting these guys and taking them out. But it, it does kind of pad the Stormtroopers' reputations a little bit, mm. um, which I think is good. and needed because they well yeah they kind of get done dirty a lot of uh not being able to hit anything but in this one they're like nope these are stormtroopers this is what they're supposed to do uh so but yeah the the whole i think it was filmed really good the riot because it was kind of confusing trying to see which people were were where and i think that helps with the tone of it because you're like Okay, who's doing this? Who's doing that? Okay, Deidre's over here. She's freaking out. Brasso is destroying people with a brick. Uh, <laughs> oh, the Empire is firing on everybody. And then it would cut back to Cassian trying to get Bix out of prison. And um, I think the craziness of the cuts helped the ride a lot too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What What were some moments that really stood out to you? in this because like like you're saying joseph it cuts all over the place to like all of these characters i mean we we got the completion of our little uh deidre karn romantic comedy that we've been <laughs> building on all season um uh, there's a youtuber that i follow who like he was podcasting with somebody about this the series and he's and they were obsessed with like shipping them before it was even a thing and then when it became a thing they got even more excited um and so so yeah so i i, I like that we got to see this other side of the, the imperial goons right that it's like oh like she like or not all but like no she, I, it's definitely not all yeah sorry me. <laughs> let me let me rephrase let me rephrase I, but it, but it, but it's interesting to see like that she actually is able of like being scared and that she is a human person yeah aside from like the tarkin stoicism that we're used to seeing from like imperial leaders that's what i was trying to say um, no i agree um and then seeing that moment between like her and karn where <laughs> she's kind of freaked out because like she's like it's you like you're stalking me again um and it'll be interesting to see what the two of them get up to in season two um and then hammer bro up in the tower yes um, love that man i'm just sad he didn't get to use his hammer but i kind of like that i feel like that was a maybe if not a joke like a just a fun expectation subversion that he just like kicks yeah. him off like great stuff no just just amazing maybe, maybe his hammers are too sacred to fall on stormtrooper heads Ooh, <laughs> yeah, i like that just, i just, like that he just decided to uh to kick the guy off the tower i like that yeah it, it looks like uh all of cyril's simping is paid off oh so uh no i can't but, i just i just can't have but, it he's he's disgusting they're gonna have like the most toxic relationship in the galaxy in season <laughs> two, and that's including like Darth Anakin Vader and, and the <laughs> relationship. Because Darth Vader and the Emperor is just like 
it's straight up an abusive relationship. <laughs> like the yes. emperor just like it, it, you see it a lot more in the comics. The emperor craps on Vader all the time, and it's it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of sad. There's there's a yeah. scene in the comics where uh, Darth Vader he he messes something up, or, or no, the emperor is talking to him after the Battle of Yavin, and uh, the emperor goes. Oh yes, Vader. Truly, you are the chosen one, the chosen one to get blamed for all of this. And he just <laughs> wow. like he just roasts him, and it's hilarious. But then you're also like, dang, I know who's under the mask. <laughs> but they, their relationship is so weird because he is so such weird. a creeper. He's like he's a stalker, and he even has like the facial expressions. And I'm sure he's like I haven't seen many of the interviews with him in real life. I'm sure he's like a normal guy. But he does it so perfectly where he's like the internet troll in real life almost. And Honestly, she's yeah. Like, she's like, what the heck are you doing here? I'm, she's like, I mean, I'm glad you're here because I'd be dead otherwise. But also, why are you here? They, and it's it's going to be so toxic. I'm ready for it. Well, it's interesting, too, because she's shaking with fear. And I think it's mostly because she literally almost just died. But, like, imagine being saved by your stalker. You know? Like, I don't know. I think a piece of it is, like, I'm being held by this creepy man who was stalking me on Coruscant. Like, how did I get here? And I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not completely sold that they're going to be a relationship with season two. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I feel like it's, it's going to be... I think they're going to have a relationship but not like a romantic relationship it's yeah, gonna she, be like she could use him yeah she could i think it's gonna be like a joker harley like a reverse joker harley thing mm. except she's not she's not like insane like the joker is but she's she's gonna feed cyril like hope of a relationship yeah. or something or hope yeah. of a position she'll manipulate then, him yeah, and then she's just going to like throw him out when he fails, I think is what's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Uh, there's a I want to talk about there's a there's a shot for me that sticks out in the in the midst of all the chaos is the the camera cuts to Luthen <clears throat> and he's standing like at an elevation high above Rick's road. Now he's kind of retreated a little bit. And the camera's just behind him. He's got his hood up. He's in disguise. And then you see nothing but smoke and dirt and ashes being kicked up from the riot on Rick's road. And it was just such a powerful shot to me because if you go back two episodes prior, he gives this gut-wrenching speech about how, like, you know, he shares his dreams with ghosts and, like, He'll never see the sunset of of all that he is working for. But in this moment, <clears throat> it may, he's not seeing the payoff of everything he's working for just yet, but he's seeing the birth of it. And I think that is um, just so important for his character because he's had to make the most difficult choices in this show all season long. And honestly, like, literally lost his human dignity by making some of them right like he literally sacrificed 
50 men and women on that ship that Anton Krieger was on, right? All for the hopes that this rebellion would spark. And this is like the spark that he's been looking for. And I just, it was really, really powerful to me because it's like, man, this guy is, this is all he's dreamed of. And it's like, and it's sad at the same time because like this thing that he is working so hard for, it's still like brutal and it's, and it's hard and people are like losing their lives because of it. Marva's speech incited the riot so that, you know, this, this, uh, this rebellion could kind of kick off, but yet lots of Ferrix people died too. And it's just the, you know, a, a, the like brutal imagery of, of this war that's, that's, uh, starting to build. I don't know. That was, that was a moment that really, really stuck out to me. We also get Bix and Cassian escaping together. And me personally, I was so shocked that they got out of here basically untouched. I mean, they legit walk out together and it seems like no one notices them at all. I have no idea how they did it, but they did it. The riot completely distracted them from anyone seeing them. Um... I want to talk about the the scene where they get to the ship and Cassian kind of says his goodbye to all of them. How did how did you guys react to that scene? No, it was it was good. I actually I liked it. And then I saw a video the other day where some people were talking about like one of their complaints for the show was that it dropped the whole Cassian's missing sister plot thread thread. And um, oh, some people wow. re- replied as a rebuttal. They were like. Well, no. What's great is like a. It either works as a commentary of like at the end of the day like. Cassian accepts that like people are lost and that that unfortunately happens in like warfare and stuff or be that like some people were saying that him rescuing Bix was like metaphorically rescuing his sister that he's able to like mm. save someone else that he loves and then like Bix even says some at some point like he'll find us again like and that it was sort of completing that that mission that he felt he had failed with his sister so I so I really liked that final scene of him sending off his friends, but recognizing that he can't just go off with him. He has to actually fight in the rebellion at this point. Mm. I hope Cassian finds them, but I have a feeling that he won't. I know. It feels like it would be too good to be true. Right? Yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah, I mean, it feels feels about as good as the Bears holding on to a lead against the Packers. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll get to that at a later point um yeah. oh i can update you and tell you that that lead has not been held on to <laughs> yes because i've gotten a couple of notifications so i just wanted to throw that in for you <laughs> thank you thank you joseph oh it's good to be a bears fan as always but um it makes me wonder too like could <clears throat> Could Cassian's sister be found in season two? I don't know. I definitely think she could. I think the show has written itself in a way that it works either way, whether they decide to do it or not. Like, it's not going to ruin his arc, and it's not going to make or break the show. Um, Yeah, so so I'm good either way. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and then we get Cassian strolling on to Luthen's ship. And he just looks at him, and, and Luthen is shocked. Luthen is shocked to see him there. And Cassie's just like, take me in or kill me. And the season ends with just, like, Luthen giving this sly little smirk that he's got his guy. I mean, th- this was just so, so cool to see. Cassian, I mean, Cassian truly just, like, 
completely got just giant stones on him walking in there <laughs> saying kill me or take me in and it and it works out for him and obviously we know it is we know casting not gonna die right there but what a what a way to bring this thing uh this bring this thing to a close how did you guys feel about that scene no it's it's, it's great because that that's sort of the initial hook of the show right is wondering how he gets involved in the rebellion and everybody's like oh maybe it'll happen in episode three or five and it's like nope tony gilroy's like no the whole arc of the season people is, is yeah. cassian understanding that he needs to actually be involved in this rebellion and, and i love that um and and i i hope i'm hearing rumors that since the show got such a positive reception they might try to go back to the five season plan i'm like no if tony had his two season plan let him have his two season plan like I don't even. There's a five season plan. Supposedly, that's what people are saying is that it was originally going to be five, and that he changed it to two. But then, since this one was so well received, there's rumors that they're going to try to like persuade him to go back to five. Wow. Well, they're already film. They're already filming season two, and he said season two is going to cover the remaining four years. Good. Good. I think it should. So, I also don't think Tony Garoy wants to do this show for five years. No, I, I really don't. It, it's it, listening to interviews with him about Star Wars is amazing because you can tell he likes parts of it, but also does isn't obsessed with it. It's fascinating, and it's hard to make. Like, I mean, it's it's just hard to make a show this good, right? Like, I the 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 pressure to do what they just did four more times i i i can't imagine i mm. i i'm with you train i say if you have a good two-story plan and that's what you want to do stick to it let's yep. let's just we'll just give us two seasons yeah and and i mean who would have who would have thought when they they first announced all these shows a few years ago you know you got mandalorian show you got a boba fett show you got an andor show you got a obi-wan did i say obi-wan yet uh you said it now yeah you <laughs> so, just said yeah. it now <laughs> you have all these different star wars shows and you're like you know, when they all come out, you're like, what are they going to do with an Andor show? He's the guy that yep. got, like, blown up by the Death Star in Rogue One. Who cares? And then you're like, this is the best show out of all of them. <laughs> I know. And that's what's yeah. so amazing about it. This was the biggest surprise to me, I think, mm -hmm. of the entire year. Mm -hmm. I did not have anywhere close to this kind of expectation for what this show could be. And, and I want to end on just, like, kind of larger scale for star wars right what is what does this mean because i for me for a while now i've been of the mindset that like you know people keep talking about like oh just fill in all the gaps of the skywalker saga and i'm like i don't know like i think there might be some cooler stuff to explore but this show does fill in the gaps but in a totally different way it's so far removed from the skywalkers mm -hmm. that i'm like this is amazing. Like, wait, who am I kidding? There's probably so many stories like this to explore within the gaps of the storyline that we already have. I, how, how do you guys feel about that? No, I agree. For, for me, I don't think any any of these new shows, The Mandalorian or even Andor, I don't think any of them should be the template because that, that seems to always mm. be the conversation when we get one of these shows. It's yeah. like, this should be the... Th and I'm like, no, what makes Andor great is that it's not part of the template. If you make it the template, it's not unique anymore. Um, mm. so i just want i want creators to be free to do whatever they want i'm actually getting really excited about the little tidbits of info we're getting about the acolyte yes um, oh, i was about to say this trent i was literally about to say this. like daphne keen i think's her name who played the girl in logan she's like oh yeah it's all about the sith like hundreds of years ago i'm like that sounds incredible like yep. i'm excited um yeah i um 
I, I'm on record. I, uh, I still loved Mando season two. I admit I was not super crazy or not <sighs> conflicted. <laughs> I was conflicted about the Luke Skywalker stuff. I'm very happy that season three appears to be about the Mandalorian stuff because I think, I think that's that that's a new angle we haven't seen on that show yet. So if it stays on that path, I'm all good. Um, I just want to keep seeing new and creative stuff. Um, I, I, whether that's filling in the gaps, of the prequel trilogy, original trilogy, I don't really care. I just, timeline doesn't matter to me as much as if, if somebody's trying to actually do something new with star Wars, that still feels part of that mythos. I, I'm kind of game for whatever. Yeah. I mean, pretty much right now, my most desired show is probably post episode nine Ray rebuilding the, the Jedi. Oh, speaking of my- real quick, sorry, but did you guys see that Daisy Ridley posted on Instagram that she visited the Lucasfilm offices this week? I did yeah, see she had, that. We had lunch with them. So, you know, maybe that's what they're doing. May the 4th next year, celebration next year. Oof, but I think I we've got know. some cool stuff coming because because I've been excited about the Acolyte since it got announced because I love the High Republic uh, publishing yeah, that's right. initiative. Um, so I've been on with that. Skeleton crew, I'm like, this seems kind of weird, but Jude Law is cool. So Yeah. But but it's something different, and I think that's what they need to keep doing. Of um, with the Mandalorian, you've got like your pulpy action adventure show. With Andor, you've got your political thriller spy show. I think they need to start branching out more into these different genres of stuff, and and like the acolyte is going to be a you know it'll probably be like a secret hiding show and um dark sith magic stuff and i don't actually have a clue what skeleton crew is going to be about to be honest and then of course i don't think anyone does ahsoka will be more in the the same vein as the mandalorian i think it'll it'll be kind of like that i think it'll be more of like the mandalorian with a clone Wars skin on it but i think I think it'll be interesting, but yeah, this one has been just, it's just been crazy. Yeah. And, and, uh, talking about the death star too, at the end, I saw something this week where it was like, it seems like Lucasfilm is retroactively making the death star Thanos. So if you go back (laughs) and watch it in like chronological order, you see like episode two, they're like, here's these plans for, for something. Then episode three, it's under construction, and then in Andor, it's under construction, and then in Rogue One, it fires, and then mm. it builds it up so that in episode four, you're like, "Oh crap, these rebels are screwed." That's interesting. Yeah, kind of is. I guess it kind of is. You see yeah. hints of it in like uh, Rebels and the yep. Bad Batch. Yep. That's interesting. Which Bad Batch comes back at the beginning of January, so we're it almost does. there. It, it does. does. The return of Bad Batch. Yeah, I I do. Um, I don't know. I think I feel pretty confident about the direction of Star Wars for the first time in a while because it just seems like there doesn't need to be anything we're building toward like there is in the MCU. And I think that's a great distinction to have between because because like, let's be real. Marvel and Star Wars are producing the most content out of any of these franchises. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it'd be great if they felt different, you know? <clears throat> and so I, I think that um, to your point, Trent, like about the, I'm so excited for the Acolyte uh, because it's, it just seems like 
it's not a lot of the Star Wars shows for a while. You know, we've got Obi-Wan. We've got Ahsoka. I'm excited for Ahsoka. But like it's all character driven, almost like Marvel is like extremely character driven. Mm-hmm. But like Andor is just a show about people in this certain time era of Star Wars. And I'm hoping that's what the Acolyte is, too. And and so I think there's a lot to be excited for. And um, Andor is just freaking <laughs> incredible. And so uh, I this is kind of on a whim here. I didn't prep you guys for this. But we haven't done a real like grade of Star Wars before. We might have done we might have done Obi-Wan. I can't remember if we great if we graded Obi-Wan. I think we maybe did. Okay. Okay. So we did it once. Eventually I'd like us all to, you know, grade all of Star Wars. Um mm-hmm. all all the shows and movies and we'll put it on social media, but if we had to give a grade to Andor, do you think you guys could give a grade for this show, season 1? It, yep. It's an A. It, it, it's an A. There, there you go. No hesitation. Uh, okay. I will go A plus. And I'm going to say this is in the S tier. I'm If we're doing it by that scale. Oh, I forgot about the S tier. You know, you know what? I'll bump it up to the S tier as well. All sure, right, I, guess right, cool. I guess that's the top one. So we'll do. Okay, we'll do all right, I was, I, yeah, yeah. In my mind, that's where that's where my mind goes. But yeah. if we if we are including an S tier, something that is like far and away sets it apart from everything else. I feel like that's what Andor is, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Yeah, cool. And, Andor Andor is in there with like it's in there with like the original trilogy. Yeah. And like individual episodes of the clone wars that are just next level, like the siege yeah. of Mandalore and yeah. um, the, uh, the fives arc in season six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It's Cause it's it, Andor is above the, the average quality of the clone wars. I don't know if it hits like the top notch quality of the clone wars, but it's pretty close. I don't. I think it might. I, I mean, like, I honestly think this might be like. I I like to give credit to the OGs, A New Hope and Empire, especially because they kicked this whole thing off. None of anything else is possible without those two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and without Return of the Jedi as well. Um, but to me, I feel like this is the single best thing in Star Wars since since Empire Strikes Back. That's yep. my that's my opinion. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Joseph, Joseph can agree to disagree. I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big return of the Jedi fan. So, um, (laughs) okay. That's fair. I don't know if I'd go that far. (laughs) Okay. That's fair. That's fair. We'll discuss this on a different podcast. I think, I think there's a different conversation here. Oh, and just wait till y'all hear my thoughts on the last Jedi. Cause, (laughs) cause I got, mm, I got, I got strong feelings about the last Jedi. We have another episode coming for you. It's it's churning in my head at the at the moment. We definitely we have to have a wider Star Wars discussion. After we we do. Show. We definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. And like to go just a little bit onto it. Half of The Last Jedi is one of the best Star Wars movies ever made. All right. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say three quarters of The Last Jedi is one of the best things ever made. They're, I'd give you that. Yeah, I like I I legit love the Last Jedi. That, all right, there we go. I'll at least start with that. I'll save all the good stuff for later. I actually I, think we're more aligned on this than 
than maybe we all think. Okay, good. As far as as far as uh, Star Wars titles go, Last Jedi is undefeated. Yes. Oh yeah, excellent title, excellent title. All right, guys, I think that's that's gonna do it for our Andor discussion. Y'all have any closing thoughts about this show? Uh, just the again, technically the show looked and sound amazing. Nicholas Bertel's music was incredible. Yes. So shout out to him. Costume yep. designers, production designers, the show looked incredible, start to finish. So all the all the crew members like huge round of applause for you guys because the show looked as great as it was written as so that's always a treat when those two things can come together for sure yeah and and uh i know because of production timelines this isn't true but it's like they heard every criticism of kenobi and were like okay we're gonna fix it and make it as good as it can be like visually it looks amazing writing top notch performances top notch and you know not hating on like Ewan McGregor or, or Hayden Christensen stuff, but just, you know, some of the other ones weren't as strong. And it was like, there were no weak links Mm-mm. in Andor. It was nope. all strong across the board. It, it was almost like with a lot of different circumstances is like how in everyone in, um, in black Panther was bringing their a game. Yeah. Cause it was like, okay, you watched the new black Panther movie. There are no bad performances in it. That, yeah. You, you know, at all. It, it felt kind of like that. Just, you know, with, there was a different reason why they were doing it that way. Um, yeah, I, I love Dandor. I can't wait for season two. I can't wait for season two either. Yeah. I mean, this is it's just I, I can't say much else other than what you guys have already said. But I, for something that's so detached from cameos and Easter eggs and wild theories, I thought about this show more than almost any other movie or show that I've seen this year. Mm -hmm. And it didn't have anything to do with like speculation. And I loved it so, so much. It just, I just got to appreciate it for what it was. So, and or 10 out of 10 would recommend, please go watch this show. Um, But I think that's going to do it for our talk today, guys. I, uh, I appreciate you joining as always. Absolutely. And we'll uh and we'll be back too. So um we got a few more special episodes in store um before the new year rounds out. And you I, I would say for now, uh really go follow us on social media at the Stinger Pod on Instagram, especially. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well. And uh be on the lookout for some of our some of our highly anticipated episodes that's going to be coming at the end of the year. Um, so we'll be back. Thanks as always for listening. Uh, give us a rate and review if you would like and come join us again soon. <laughs>